There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried to the, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in prayer this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would use this word in our hearts and our lives as we indeed come to the altar. Father, I pray that we would examine our hearts, examine our lives as, as those who are here that, to know whether we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We know that in our heart. And so, Father, I pray that we will hear the gospel message, we'll hear the call of the Holy Spirit to come and to receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, there are many who are here as believers, and I pray, God, that you will make this message speak to them also and the urgency uh, that we need to have within our lives to be sharing the gospel with those around us in the time that we have remaining on this earth. So bless this word. Bless uh, your Holy Spirit, Lord. May it fill us. Uh, may it speak to us. And, Father, we just pray that, that your will will be done in this service and in this invitation in the altar uh, at the end here this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You be seated. You know, when you get together for the holidays, there's all kind of conversations that you can have with family and friends that kind of are awkward conversations uh, that, you know, if you want to create an awkward conversation quickly, there's a few surefire topics that uh, you could bring up. Politics, for example, is one of those. Uh, everybody seems to be on one side or the other. Uh, religion also uh, does the trick as well, particularly when somebody suggests that there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ and that all those who don't have faith in Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell. Conversation over. Well, hell is another one of those subjects that the conversation ends pretty quickly. And this story in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 down to verse 31 is a similar kind of story. The, the Bible so often speaks of the reality of hell, and it often uh, brings up some of the most difficult questions for Christians. Let me just give you one question that I, I bet you've heard this. How can a good and loving God send someone to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. We, do, we, we go of our own choice uh, because we choose to reject Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. You know, hell is a reality. Uh, but if you look back in 2001, there was a poll that was taken. Not often do they take this poll, uh, this particular question, but back in 2001 they did. And 71% of Americans said back then, we believe in hell. A few years ago, though, the last time they did this survey, uh, it changed from 71% to only 58% of Americans who believe in hell. 
uh, they asked these Americans to define what hell is. Now, this isn't my definition. This is what uh, people, people who were in this survey said, who oftentimes don't believe in hell. This is how they define hell. Uh, where people who have lived bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. So it's where bad people go. If you were to read the New Testament in its 27 books, you would find that Jesus spoke on hell three times to every one time that he spoke about heaven. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, maybe that's important because he wanted to get people to understand uh, where you would go if you don't receive him as Lord and Savior, uh, and that would lead to the natural conversation uh, about heaven itself. But one time for every three uh, times he spoke about hell. And, and so Jesus in this story here takes a snapshot of the other side of the grave and gives us a picture of the first few minutes of death. We've always wondered, well, what is death like? What is it like on the other side uh, when, we, when we die after we've taken that last breath? We've had people who've written books on it uh, over the last uh, decades here. But the Word of God gives us the clearest picture of what happens on the other side of death. In fact, what we see in this story is that Jesus pulls back, if you will, the curtains of eternity and gives us a look at the unseen world, and he shows us the immediate fate of these two men who died. One who died with God, the other who died without God. Now, there are some who call this a parable. I really believe uh, this is a true story. Uh, Jesus is using it like a parable to teach us a lesson, but uh, Jesus doesn't introduce it as a parable. Uh, when you read the passage here, nowhere does he say, uh, or does it say in the scripture here, he told them another parable, or he doesn't introduce it like he does all the other parables. Furthermore, he does something that he never does in any of the other parables. He mentions specific names. In other parables, names were never mentioned. Uh, but here you have two historical figures uh, for certain named, Abraham and Moses, and then there's Lazarus. Now, we don't know what the rich man's name is, but we know Moses is in this story. We know Abraham is, and we know Lazarus is. And we know there's a rich man, we just don't know his name. Now, I believe that this was a true, actual account to life of what happened to these two men after they died. The only thing that these two men had in common is the fact that God was the maker of both of them. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 2 says this, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And so other than that, these two men were as different as night and day. Uh, they were different in their position. One was a prince, the other was a pauper. Uh, they were different in their possessions. One was uh, rich, uh, maybe even a, a, mi a billionaire or a millionaire in his terms of his day. The other was, was a homeless guy, was a bum, if you will. Uh, they, were they were different in their passions. One loved gold and the other loved God. And it was that difference that made all the difference in the world. Let me describe our situation like this. If you were to go out west, uh, maybe some of you have taken that trip out west, and you go to the Rockies, you can go to Colorado. There are several places you can do this, but you can go to Colorado, and you can drive up on top of the Rocky Mountains, and you can stand on what is called by some the Continental Divide, or others call it the Great Divide. 
uh, geologists call it the backbone of the continent. Not only is this where the Rocky Mountains reach their highest peak, but it's what separates the rivers and the streams that flow eastward towards the Atlantic Ocean from those that flow westward towards the Pacific Ocean. Now, the portion of the Continental Divide in the United States is about 3,000 miles long. It extends from Glacier National Park in Montana to the Mexican uh, border there in, in southwest New Mexico. Here's a fascinating fact, though, about uh, that great divide, that Continental Divide. When a, when a drop of water falls on the Continental Divide, if it falls just a little to one side of the divide, that water will continue to go and flow towards the west until it reaches the Pacific Ocean. If it falls on the other side, uh, it'll continue to flow until it reaches the Mississippi River, uh, down into the Mississippi River, down into the Gulf of Mexico, finally out into the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you could stand on top of that mountain peak and, and look at that imaginary line, if you will, uh, crawling there between your feet. And if you, if you was to be there and to think about it long enough, you could think about how two drops of water could seem to start so nearly in the same place and yet actually wind up miles apart, oceans apart. That's exactly the way it is with us. There are people who come from the same backgrounds, have the same opportunities, in many cases even have the same genes, the same chromosomes, the same gifts, the same abilities, the same outlook on life, and yet when they die, they'll wind up literally worlds apart never to see each other again. We all live in a world that has in it the great divide as we're going to see here. So here's what I want you to see from this story this morning, especially in these first few verses, that we're all divided by a spiritual decision. We're all divided by a spiritual decision. That's what you see in verse 19 down through verse 21 here. From the womb to the tomb, there was a great division between these two men. On the outside, the difference uh, between these two men was obvious. One was rich, one was poor. Uh, the one who was rich would, would have been dressed in purple, he would have, uh, which was the color of royalty. He wore fine clothes uh, in that day amongst the most expensive fabric that money could buy. Uh, the Bible tells us there in verse 19 that he also feasted sumptuously. That means he had everything he could desire to eat. I mean, it was like a smorgasbord. It was, it was better than going to Golden Corral or, or any of those places. Uh, he, he had everything. He was feasting sumptuously. In fact, that word literally means to live it up. It refers specifically to how well this man ate. He had a banquet at every meal. He literally lived in luxury and wallowed in wealth. He had everything that money could buy. On the other hand, here was Lazarus, who was extremely poor. He was a cripple, so he couldn't work to make a living. He had to depend upon others who would help him financially, probably by giving him alms. Uh, he had nothing to eat. It seemed like sores and ulcers were eating him. He had no money for food. He had uh, no money for medicine or for doctors. He was a, 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 as poor as the other man was rich. But that wasn't the greatest difference between these two men. The major difference between these two men wasn't that one was rich 
and the other was poor. Don't get the idea that, that one man went to hell because he was rich and the other man went to heaven because he was poor. The difference between these two men was not what they owned, but what owned them. Understand that if, if this rich man, think about it, if he had taken all the things that he owned and he had given them to Lazarus, that alone would not have gotten him into heaven. Understand that God doesn't want anything you have. He wants everything you are. He wants you. You see, the rich man had everything except God, and he was satisfied. The poor man had nothing but God, and he was saved. Do you know what the name Lazarus means? It literally means God is my helper, or in God I trust. And so when Jesus tells this story, Jesus leaves no doubt that Lazarus indeed was a saved man. Uh, we're told in verse 22 that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's, Abraham's side, or to his bosom as some versions say. It's also obvious that the rich man was lost. And he knew why he was lost. Uh, we're going to find out a little bit later in the story that he asked Abraham uh, to let Lazarus go and preach to his brothers so that they will repent. Notice, he had never repented and placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he knew it. The rich man was in hell not because he didn't give bread to Lazarus, but rather because he never accepted the bread of life, never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. These two men were divided by a spiritual decision. And it's that decision that made all the difference both in his life, in this life, and in the life to come. Secondly, I want you to see from these verses that we're all divided by a physical death. Look again at verse 22 and verse 23. It's interesting to see how Jesus describes the moment of death for these two men. In verse 22 it says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So get the picture here that, that Jesus said that when this beggar died, when Lazarus died, he was carried, but the rich man was buried. And it's exactly here that you begin to see this great divide. You see, you can't always tell on this earth who belongs to God and who doesn't. Who are the lost and who are the saved? People who seem to have the same backgrounds, the same opportunities, uh, the, the same tendencies and abilities, uh, they, yet they end up worlds apart, as we said, because of a prior decision. When Lazarus died... He was carried. In the Old Testament, the, the, the phrase Abraham's side or bosom there was used by the Jewish people to indicate paradise, the, the place where God's people went after death. This was the place where God's people went after they died. You see, because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, it was only natural for Abraham to be the one who greeted uh, God's faithful children when they died. Also, it was the custom of that day for the most honored and respected guest to, at, at a feast to sit closest to the host. And the best position would be that of, of leaning back on the chest or on the side or the bosom, if you will, uh, of the host. So at his death, Jesus is pointing out that Lazarus was carried by the angels 
and, and to a place that the Jews could have here, the most honored place, the bosom of Abraham, right into the very heart of paradise. Now physically, the body of this beggar Lazarus would have probably been cast out on a junk heap and burnt. He didn't have much of a funeral, but he had some unbelievable pallbearers. On the other hand, Jesus tells us that there was a rich man who was simply buried. And there's no question that he had a magnificent funeral. He had all the money that he needed. And, and, and you know, when rich people of that day died, uh, their family would, would hire mourners to cry over their death. They would hire the, the best guest speakers to come uh, who would give uh, these flowery uh, eulogies at their graveside telling how great they were and bragging on all their achievements. The bodies of the rich would be embalmed with, with the most expensive spices that money could buy and wrapped in the finest linen and would be placed in the costliest of graves. But the bottom line is this. He died and he was buried. Once again, we're reminded that the finger of death plays no favorites. It eventually touches everybody on the shoulder and says it's time. There are some people in our lives, some people in this world, even, even celebrities that we know who were here last year at this time who are no longer here with us now because the finger of death came. It's time. One day we're all going to face death. And there's no need to fear death, but only if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But many are going to be divided by a physical death. Some simply to be buried and to go to a Christless eternity. Some immediately to be carried into the presence of God. Let me just give you a fair warning. You may not think that being saved is all that big a deal, but I promise you at death it'll be the biggest deal for all eternity. Here's the third thing I want you to get from this message this morning in verse 23 down through verse 28. We're all divided by an eternal destiny. Go back to verse 23 and you'll see there it says, In Hades, being in torment, the rich man, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in, these, in this flames. Well, uh, after these men died, we find here one uh, went, went to eternally be, be eternally glorified and the other went to be eternally horrified. One entered into the joy of the Lord while the other entered into the judgment of the Lord. One entered into the happiness of heaven, the other into the horror of hell. One man went from rags to riches while the other man went from riches to rags. We're told specifically, as you go down to verse 24 and verse 25, that Lazarus was comforted. So he's seeing Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. We saw that in verse 24, uh, or verse 23. And verse 25 goes on to say, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, and now he 
is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So you can see Lazarus here uh, moments after he's died. He's not hungry anymore because he's dining at the table of the Lord. He's not sick anymore because he's permanently been healed by the great physician. He wasn't poor anymore because he was in paradise. He wasn't homeless anymore because now he was at home living in paradise. The rich man, that was another story. Verse 23 there describes his fate after death. He was in Hades, the place of the dead, the place where the dead never die. Here we have one of the most detailed descriptions in all of the Bible of this place called hell. Jesus, the only eyewitness of hell who, who, who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus shares with us here. He walked on this earth. His description here stands for us as, as the most reliable and graphic ever written. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. We're repeatedly told of the torture that this man was in. You see it in verse 23. He was in anguish or torments. In verse 24, he says, I am in anguish or tormented in this flame. In verse 25, we're told that, that he was also in anguish or tormented. In verse 28, his new home was described as a place of torment. There are always those who ask if, if the flame, of he, flame is real. They ask, is hell a place of, of literal fire? Well, I personally believe that it is, but regardless of, of whether it is or not, one thing I can tell you about hell is this, that it's a place of torment and torture and pain and agony and misery, and it is real. It was real for this rich man. Hell's a place where there's no water for the fire. There's no medicine for the pain. There's no comfort for the suffering. This man had a thirst, and that thirst could not be satisfied. Get the picture here. There's no way you could satisfy a person burning in a flame of hell with, with just taking your finger. You ever done that? Just take your finger and stick it in a glass of water and pull it out, just that one little dribble hanging there on your finger. There's no way that would ever satisfy you to put that on the tip of your tongue. Hell's a place of unsatisfied passions. It's a place where no one will be able to satisfy their lust, where they'll never be able to quench their thirst, where no one will ever be able to satisfy their habit or be able to satisfy their hunger. Understand this, everybody here this morning, every person watching online is going to spend an eternity somewhere. I also want to call your attention again to how we're reminded that this is the great divide. Look at verse 26. He says, I can't do that. There's, Lazarus is here. He said he can't do this to, to go dip his water, finger in the water and bring it to him. He says, besides all this, in verse 26, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able... And none may cross from there to us. 
So, so get the picture there. Uh, the word fix there comes from a Greek word which means to set forth or, or to make fast. It's permanent. It's steadfast. This word chasm comes from a Greek word that gives us our English word gulf or, or even canyon. So there's literally this huge great canyon between the lost and the saved that is fixed that can never be crossed. And then notice that every word that this man utters is a word of agony. For the first time in his life, this man is caring about other people who are lost and who don't know God. Understand that hell is a place of unanswered prayer. Notice verse 27 and verse 28. And he said to him, so the rich man says to, uh, to Abraham, he says, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. Now the words there, I beg you or I pray that you remind us that some of the most fervent praying in the world is going on in hell right now. But the problem is that nothing can ever escape hell, not even prayer. This man finally believed in prayer, but he believed in it too late. First of all, he was saying he was praying to the wrong person. Notice he's speaking to Abraham. He's not speaking to God. But he's also praying in the wrong place. The time to pray is now, not later, here, not hell. There are two places where prayer is unnecessary, and that is in heaven and in hell. In heaven, prayer is not needed, and in hell, prayer is not heeded. But he was also praying with the wrong purpose. There's something you need to see about this rich man that you may miss at first glance. This man still hasn't changed. Even though he knows he's in hell because he didn't repent, yet in hell he still would not repent. He, he didn't love God when he was on earth, and he still doesn't love God when he's, when he's in hell. You know, there are some people who believe that people in hell are crying out for God to save them and to take them out of hell. Did you know the Bible teaches just the opposite? Did you know that there is not one person in hell today crying out for the mercy of God, repenting of their sins, asking God to save them? We need to understand something plainly. If a person doesn't love God on this side of hell, they won't love God on the other side. He wanted Lazarus to go and to witness to his brothers. He said nothing about himself. Lord, uh, I beg, I plead for forgiveness for myself. Nothing of that. Uh, we see here that, that his, his focus here uh, on, on repentance, he knew he needed to repent. Uh, notice in verse 30, uh, it says, uh, well, let's read back just a few verses here. Go back to verse 28. We'll pick that up and then come back into verse 30. He said, For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. How did a man in hell know that in order not to go to hell, you needed to repent? Hmm. There's good theology in hell. He was saying, if my brothers could just see Lazarus 
coming back from the dead and talking to them and telling them of the horrors of hell, they would be saved. But notice what Abraham says in verse 31. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Abraham correctly points out here that if a person won't believe the word of God, then they won't receive the works of God. You'll never find salvation in a miracle. You'll only find it in a message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you won't believe the message, you won't receive the miracle. Salvation will never be found in the miracle. It's found in that message. If you had a family member to die and they were to go to hell and Jesus released them from hell and sent them back to warn you, the Bible is telling us here that there's no more likelihood that you would repent than if you heard me preaching this message on hell. Someone may say, well, I tell you, I tell you one thing, preach a message like that. If there's somebody here that's lost, they'll get saved. And that may be true but that's not why I'm preaching it, because I'm speaking to this group in this room, not just those who are lost, but to those of you who are saved. The majority of you aren't on your way to hell. You've already asked Christ into your heart and into your life. But somewhere along the way, a funny thing happened on the way to hell. You got saved. And then you forgot where you were headed to the point that you no longer tell others where they're headed. You see, we're living in a generation that doesn't like to hear what we're talking about here because they don't want to deal with that. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about what's after this life. And I'm not just preaching so that the lost would be saved. I hope they will be. I'm preaching so uh, that the saved will be burdened over the lost and pray for them and share the gospel message with them. Remember that the Bible records this account of a rich man and a poor man, and they both die. Not only do they both die, but Jesus says that the rich man and the poor man had this in common. God was the creator of both. The poor man goes to heaven and is embraced by Abraham. The rich man dies and suffers in hell. And he looks across that great divide for somebody to warn his family and to avoid this place of torment. Can I ask you a question this morning? We've already read in this story that Abraham says nobody can go back there. And even if they could they wouldn't listen. So if Jesus isn't going to allow those in hell to come back and to warn people of hell, could you help me with the answer to this question? Who will warn them? Who will warn them? See, Jesus tells us this story not only to drive a point home for those who are lost, that above everything else, hell is a place of hopelessness. Think about it. Hell is a place where there is no hope. We, we don't know in this world what it's like to not have hope. If you're sick, there's always hope that you might get better. In business, there's always hope that somehow the economy will turn around. Even a condemned man on death row always has hope that there could be a pardon, a stay of execution, perhaps an escape. But in hell, there is no hope. You see, Jesus told this story to illustrate, illustrate two truths. First of all, that there is a heaven to gain. 
and there is a hell to shun. Secondly, you don't have to go to hell if you don't want to. The choice is up to you. You have a choice before you die, but you don't have any choice after you die. Life's greatest tragedy would be to know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to reject that Jesus Christ and spend an eternity in hell when you didn't have to. What have you got to do to not go to hell? All you have to do is repent of your sins. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Understand this, your sins will send you to hell because they're never dealt with. But if you repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you and for Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, then the Bible says you will be saved. Let me encourage you to make this prayer your prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my life and save me. Cleanse me of my sins. Give me life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ. And help me to live all the remaining days of my life for Jesus. An eternal destiny. One choice or the other. The greatest tragedy would be to refuse to accept the free gift of Jesus Christ and eternal life with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a picture you have painted for us here of hell and of life's greatest tragedy. Father, I pray this morning that there are those who are here that if they have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, that when the invitation's given, they would come forward and, and I'll be here to meet them, Father. And I just pray that, that you'll lead those individuals to come who need to come this morning to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, to make that decision now before it's too late. We don't know about that rich man. He probably thought he had, a, he had the rest of his life to make that decision. But life was gone in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And so, Father, I pray this morning that there'll be those who'll make that decision, even if they're at home this morning. But Father, there are others of us here who we've already made that decision. But somewhere along the way, we've, we've not been faithful to share with others uh, about the danger uh, of not choosing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've been unfaithful to share the good news of the gospel message with those around us. And Father, I pray that we would be able to answer that question. If you're not going to send somebody from hell to tell them and to warn them, who will warn them? Lord, I pray that we would resoundingly answer in our heart of hearts. I'll tell them. I'll tell my kids. I'll tell my spouse. I'll tell my family members. Lord, that is the greatest ministry field that every single one of us have this morning is our family. Maybe that's our grandchildren that we need to be investing in and, and sharing 
the good news of the gospel, planting those seeds in their hearts, Lord, that they would come to faith in Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we do that, may we be even more faithful to, to share with others in our circles of influence, whether that's the people we work with or, or the people we see in the marketplace throughout the week. Father, I pray that your hand will be upon us, your spirit will be in us, and that we will go forth sharing the good news of the gospel before it's too late. Bless us, Lord, this morning. And may you have your way and your will in this invitation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 305, would you come as the Lord lays on your heart? As we stand, as we sing, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. I have decided to follow Jesus. Brother Bobby, if you'll come and share our announcements. I think Brother Matt has an announcement and then staying. What a great message to uh, lead into this announcement. I want to encourage everyone here. Everybody got a pen? Hold a pen up. If you need a pen, there might be one in the pew, but take your bulletin. You'll see there on January 29th an opportunity for you to share the gospel. That is not just for youth. That is for everyone here who is willing to come. And so what we're going to do on January 29th, and again, the last Sunday of each month, is go and share the gospel. And the Sunday before, that 22nd, we're going to meet up probably around uh, 4.30 or 5 here at the church and just kind of talk through how we're going to do that, pray about it, so that the following Sunday we will be uh, equipped and ready to go. And so uh, circle that January 29th. Make it a priority in your life as there are other dates as well. And so just know there are going to be things that come up that you're going to think, well, i got to do this instead. i got to do this instead. There's nothing that holds it the weight and the priority when it comes to sharing the gospel with those around us. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And then... Also, uh, parents, don't forget, you got a meeting with me on January 22nd, so circle that date, put it in your phone, save it, because um, you'll probably get another message uh, coming up again about it, so thank you. Good morning. Next Saturday morning, the 14th of January at 8 o'clock, is our men's breakfast. Guest speaker is going to be Chris Hawkersmith, a former principal at Deckard Elementary. 
I'd like to invite all of you men to come out and join us. Please sign up in the back so we'll have a count for food. And come join us for a time of fun, fellowship, and some enrichment. Okay, let's see here. Uh, don't forget about the Christmas cards. Well, there's a lot of Christmas cards that's left out here across from the office, if you could pick those up. Don't forget Prime Timers on Tuesday uh, at 12 o'clock. If you've not been a part of that, come and be a part. Also, for people that has gotten scholarships from the church, don't forget you got to have your grades turned in by the 15th, okay? And uh, as far as prayer concerns, we want to continue to remember Susie Barton. She was in the hospital. Is she still there or do you know? Don't know, okay. Diane Tatum, I did get to talk to Ken a while ago. Diane Tatum had back surgery this week. She's home recovering. She's improved a lot. It's helped her with her pain and stuff, but he does uh, still desires our prayers. Steve Connor had outpatient surgery. Uh, on Thursday for carpal tunnel and elbow. He's doing well. David Hess is uh, the guy, his, his father Jim comes to our church. David plays baseball. You know, last year we was concerned because he had some cancer. He got a clear bill of health, but this year when he was getting ready to take his physical to go back for baseball, his cancer has come back. And so we got to uh, we ask that you keep him in prayers. He has he has scheduled four uh, chemotherapies. He's had one. He'll have one, and then he waits two weeks and has another. So keep him in your prayers. Um, is there any other announcements or prayer concerns? Yes, ma'am. I would like us to remember the folks who come on Friday to the food program. Uh -huh. We have some faces that we see regularly, and right now we're in a period where we're not seeing some of those folks, and we don't know them by name, but we lift them up. This week we saw more new faces than we had seen. Um, I myself went through the line. I was number 196 at 130. We must have had at least 230 people go through our cars. That's not the people, because after that, when I was in line, there was two more rows, and by the time I left, there was three more rows. And each row has about five vehicles. But what I would really like the church, besides our prayers, we have two Bibles left. From time to time, we have been given Bibles or Testaments or Christian literature. So in your home, if you have any Bibles that you're not using or Christian literature that you could share, or if you give it to the office, they would see, Amy or Brother Jim would see that we get it. We put it on the table and tell people anything that's on the table is free. You're welcome right. to take it. Okay. You know, so that's my prayer request. Okay. All right. Thank you. You know, that's a reminder that <clears throat> that is a good opera, uh, operation, and we're glad to help with that. This past week, you know, you saw where the football player went down. Uh, he had cardiac arrest on the field. And of course, you know, the thing about it is how it brought teams, opponents together and they prayed. You know, the thing I would ask you is that we're getting ready to pray. 
not only pray for our church, pray for our community, pray for our nations, but most of all, let's pray for one another. And with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we do want to thank you for all your many blessings. We ask your guidance upon our lives. We ask that you forgive us when we fail you. We ask, Father, that you help us help our fellow man. We're thankful for our first responders and others that help each other. Father, we ask now that you meet us as our point of need. Take us home and bring us back safe again. And in your name, we give the honor and the praise through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.